So today we are going to be reading from the Gospel of John. Um, John 1 is a very well-known part of John's Gospel. What we're doing in this brief mini-series is taking some time to really go up to about 30,000 feet and look down and say a lot of times we narrow in on specific books of the Bible, which are still very broad, obviously. We narrow in then on specific passages in the Bible, but sometimes we need to step back. Sometimes we need to say, what are the big themes of the Bible? How do they impact what we believe and who we are? So I've printed these in your bulletin, these questions we're going to be going through. We did an intro last week. Who is God, which is really theology? Um, what has God done, which is primarily Christology? Who are we, which is ecclesiology, the church study of the church? And then what are we to do, which is missiology, the sending aspect, how we go out and what we're supposed to do? By the way, notice that we're not doing church. We are the church. We do mission. And then the final one that I threw in there is... Um, pneumatology, which is, to, you know, the, the study of the Holy Spirit. But how do we do it? We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So just to give you an idea of why these are important and what we're looking at here, um, all of our behavior is impacted by what we believe and who or what we worship. Many people would say, I don't worship anything. That's not true. We all worship something. The question is, what do we worship? And then how does it impact what we believe? As Christians, when our behavior is not what it should be, like let's just take a simple example. Let's say I'm really struggling with anxiety and, and worry, and it's just consuming me, okay? I can actually go back on these questions, and I could say, if that's true, um, what am I believing about myself? Well, I'm believing that I should be in control, but I'm out of control. I'm believing that I should be able to fix this, but I can't fix this. Right? So, well, what is that saying about what you're believing, what God has done? Well, if we're honest in those moments, we could, we could say it's probably something like, well, I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God isn't caring enough for me, that he's not present. He's not fixing my problems, right? And so we could say, well, if that's true, then what am I believing about God? Well, right now I'm believing that God is absent, that God is distant. Maybe that God is powerless. And then you, once you get to that point, you can say, no, wait a second. Right now, that is the God I'm worshiping. But that is not the God I believe in. God has proven to me that God is not like that. And so then you can go back the other way and say, well, who is God? Well, God is intimate. He's powerful. He loves me. Who am I? Well, I'm a deeply loved child of God. No matter what happens in my life, it doesn't change the fact that God accepts me, that he's forgiven me. That I'm one of his dearly loved children. You know, what does that mean? That, I, I skipped what God has done, but you get the idea. Okay, and so then, so then I go back to anxiety and say, well then, so what should I have in this moment? Well, if I'm really believing that and worshiping that God, that anxiety begins to be replaced by peace. That these things are out of my control, but they're in God's control. That these things are um, not what defines me. I don't have to prove myself. So that's just one example, okay? There's many examples, but that's why these questions and this thinking and the order is extremely important. Especially if we're saying, 
what am I supposed to do? Many churches and many Christians get busy doing things, and what they're really doing is they're trying to prove themselves to God. Church planning pastors are famous for this. They can actually turn their church into their ability, their, their attempt to try to prove themselves to God. You know, they define success in some weird ways. You know, how many people are sitting in seats, how much money we're making, all those things. So, these, these ideas, these topics we're looking at have big implications for, um, for how we live and how we behave. That's why we're taking some time to look at these. So I want to start with this big pop. This is going to crunch down very thickly when we read um, John in a moment. Have you ever had that especially awkward moment when someone's asked you to describe somebody else? You know, like they didn't meet them, and maybe they were at the same event you were, and they, and they say, what did they look like? What did that person look like? And you have to, I hate that. That's like one of the worst questions for me. Because, you know, it's like I end up describing kind of this um, average everything person. Well, they're kind of tall, but a little short or maybe somewhere in between. And their hair was not too long. It wasn't really short. And, you know, and I get in all of it. It's kind of auburn, but a little bit of blonde. And, and pretty soon it just turns out to be nobody. And by the way, wives, this is the worst question you can ask your husband. If it's about a woman. I mean, like, I, it, I can't think of it specifically happening. But I know it has because I can sense the discomfort as soon as I think about it. Like, let's just say you're at a wedding or something, and then you, you say to your wife, yeah, I met Jane. Oh, I haven't met Jane. Now, which one was she? What did she look like? You, that is a trap. You cannot answer that question correctly. I mean, it, you know, what do you say? Well, she was the one in the short black skirt. Oh, really? How did you? You know, I mean, just, it, it, probably the best thing you can say is, that, well, she was the one who wasn't very attractive. Yeah. I find it way easier to answer that question based on character, actually, whether it's my wife asking or anyone, because then you can say, oh, well, she was the one who was talking about decoupage. She was really into it. Oh, yeah, that one, you know. You go, okay, yeah, behavior or character. The one who had a really nice smile, they're going around hugging everybody in the family. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that person. When we talk about who God is, of course, it is impossible for us to describe God accurately, not just how God looks, which would be impossible, but even when we talk about character, the scriptures are full of various descriptions of God. Just listen to some of these. God Almighty, God Most High, the Eternal God, the Ancient of Days, the Mighty One, the Living God. The Holy One of Israel, the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Most High, the Sovereign Lord, a shield, a refuge, a hiding place, a fortress, a stronghold, a defender, a rock. There's a whole bunch of titles that refer to God as a source of hope, the source of peace, the source of comfort, source of grace, source of love, as a shepherd, the true God. I mean, we could go on and on. And you can see that the scriptures are searching, they're reaching to try to give these descriptions of God. And through both what God has done and who God is to us. So last week, we talked about how our being, who we are in Christ, has to precede our actions. In other words, we have to understand who we are in light of what God has done and who God is. Before we know what we have to do and how we're supposed to act. So when we talk about this is what we're trying to understand. 
When I was younger, my whole, like I'm thinking, you know, high school, college age, most of my identity was wrapped up in being an athlete. That was who I was. That's who I thought I was. And that began to become such a huge definition for me that when I graduated from high school and I was not sure yet where I was going to go to college and I didn't know if I was going to get to play football, I had a couple months of serious depression. Because I was feeling like my identity, see my identity was not secure in who God said I was. My identity was becoming secure in who I was trying to present myself as and who I was making myself to be. I didn't understand it in this way at the time. All I knew is that I sunk into this, this pit of depression, just not really sure who I was and what I was supposed to do. We have to understand who we are in order to know how we're supposed to live. And once I you know, received a, uh, you know, an invitation to come play football at college, some of that went away. And what was interesting is that as God worked on me through my years in college, by the end of it, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to play football my senior year. Because now my identity had been secured in a completely different way. It became grounded in who God was and what God had done for me. And I wasn't trying to prove myself to myself or to anyone else anymore. And so then it became about whether or not that was something that was simply practical. Something that was important anymore. I had to ask those questions for me. I said, yeah, it was. And I, and I played again. And unfortunately, I can see this in my kids too. Especially my oldest son, who's very like mom and dad and loves sports and is very good at sports. And so much of his identity is getting wrapped up in that. Now, I use that as a personal example, but we all have those things, don't we? Whether it's a career or whether it's our relationships and our family or whatever it is. We have these things that we begin to set our identity in. And if we're not careful, if we're not grounded in who God is and what God has done, then we are setting ourselves on a shaky foundation. On a foundation that's not firm. So who is God? This is what theologians often call theology. And it's obviously a big, big topic. Let's read John 1, 1 together. It's going to sound very familiar, I'm sure. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God... And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. 
John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. You can see in the beginning of John, of course, here very strongly the relationship between the Father and the Son. Or you could even say between the Creator and the Redeemer. Right? The whole world came into being through Him. The Father's only Son. I want to read to you just a couple more passages, very short ones from John. Um, This is John 14. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along. John 14, beginning in verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned, I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. So, when we talk about who God is, God is revealed and known to us through Jesus specifically, And as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You hear the Holy Spirit here being talked about as the advocate. Who Jesus says, or the, you know, the the helper. It's another translation of that word. The one being sent to be with us. It is true that nowhere in Scripture do we find the word. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture. And yet, there are passages like the one we looked at last week. And like some of these. Who make it very clear that this is how we experience God. As God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if any of you are note takers, and I'll probably have a diagram up here for you next week. As we go through these questions, this is where we're going to begin. Who is God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then we'll look at what God has done in those three, using those three, and who we are and what we are to do. We're going to keep using these because this is how we know God. As Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit. Before I talk more, a little bit more, about the Trinity, I want to say that we've also talked about the, the four G's a lot. We've done series on those. And these are also very important tools for understanding who God is. Because it impacts who we are. We've said this a lot. So we can say God is great. That's Obviously, just a big blanket statement. God is great. Okay, but if you believe God is great, this is how it impacts belief. If you believe God is great, then we don't have to be in control. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. When we talk about God, of course, we could go a lot of different directions. But I think it's important for us, and we're going to, even before we talk more about Trinity, it's important for us to understand, or maybe even just try, to grasp a little bit of what we're saying when we say these things about God and how God is revealed. God is great. 
Okay. God has created. We're talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Let's talk about the Creator and what God has created in the universe. I've always been fascinated with sci-fi. I still am. I keep thinking we're going to get the warp drive. In Star Trek, they have this moment when someone discovers the warp drive and they can finally travel and go explore the stars. I follow all the stuff about the things that they're doing with. You know, the new spaceships that they're being able to land, like SpaceX and the others who are being able to reuse these rockets. It's going to make travel to Mars so much cheaper. And some, you know, some private companies are saying by 2018, they're going to have people on Mars. They're talking about going to the settlements on the moon. And I think, oh, this is so great. In my lifetime, we're going to begin space travel. Okay, let's just talk about this for a moment. How big is the Earth? Well, if you drove around the Earth at a, you know, highway speed, you would have gone all the way around if you could, you know, let's pretend there's a freeway that does that. You go 25,000 miles. It's a long road trip. Take you about 40 or 50 days to do it if you could drive it and just go constantly, you know, trading drivers, all right? But the distance from the Earth to the Sun is about 93 million miles. So we gotta pick it up. We can't go in a car anymore. Let's take a 747. Let's go about 600 miles an hour to get there, right? So we could take a 747 going that fast to the sun with the big enough gas tanks. It would take us about 17 years to get to the sun. Okay, clearly we need to go a little bit faster, right? So what about light speed? They say that's kind of the speed limit of the universe. Let's get up to light speed, about 186,000 miles a second. Now we're talking, right? Now we are seriously moving. We could get around the Earth seven times in one second, traveling at that speed, okay? So we're moving serious. We could get to the moon in one and a half seconds, and we'd make it to the sun in eight minutes. Okay? Pretty good deal. It would still, at light speed, it would take us five hours to leave the solar system. But we're going, hey, that's past Pluto, I mean, and, and even beyond that. Okay, we are going now, right? I can handle that. Five hours, no big deal. It would take 4.3 years to reach the next closest star. Okay, now we're slowing down. Even the light speed, 4.3 years. Really? It would take 100,000 years to cross our galaxy. I can't even, I can't even think 100,000 years at light speed. 100,000 years to cross our galaxy, and guess what? They estimate that our galaxy is one in about 100 trillion galaxies. 100 trillion. I mean, now we're talking numbers that we just can't even, I can't even get into, right? That's why they have to use scientific formulation for a lot of these things. It would take us 2 million years at light speed to reach the next closest galaxy out of those 100 trillion galaxies. I mean, now we're talking about time really beyond our ability to even measure. And we have only just begun, just begun to explore the universe. And we believe and we confess that our God created all of that with a word. He said it and it came to be. And it happened, right? So, are you in control? <laughs> are you really in control? Or is God in control? And if we say that God is great and God is in control, 
how does that impact things like our worry? That's why Jesus can say, who of you can change even an hour of your life? And if you can't do that small thing, why are you worrying about all those other things, right? So these are big statements we make about God, but they do impact how we live. We say God is glorious. That means God has more weight and more importance than anything else in our life. And if that's true, then I don't have to fear others. They cannot do anything to me that is more influential than what God has already said and done for me. Right? God is glorious. God is good. And if God is good, I don't have to look elsewhere. When I'm trapped in patterns of addiction or behaviors that I don't like, what I'm really saying is I am not believing or worshiping a God who is good. He's holding out on me. I need to find it. I need to fix it myself. I need to give myself comfort. Okay? But if God is truly good, if He's given us all that we need, we don't have to look anywhere else. We say God is gracious. He's given you grace when you didn't deserve it. While we were still sinners, Jesus chose to die for us. Not after we got it fixed. God is gracious. We don't have to prove ourselves. That means if I'm a terrible athlete, it's okay. God still loves me. I don't have to prove myself. That means if I get fired from my job, that means if my church plant fails by everyone's standards, it doesn't matter. God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. He's already accepted me. So let's just talk about this in a moment. It is so important for us as Christians, and this is where it breaks down when you start talking about you know, trying to mesh religions together. Because this is where Christianity is extremely different. God without Jesus is something else. We lose that aspect of grace. God without the Holy Spirit is something else. We lose that aspect of power for our lives today. And for us to be empowered and change. And to change this world. John 1.1 makes that very clear. God without the Son. The Father without the Son is something else. And then the Son says to all of His people, I'm sending the Spirit to live with you, to dwell in you, so that I will be in my Father and you will be in me. If we don't have that relationship, that's something completely different than what we confess as Christians. We need Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And notice that whenever theologians talk about who God is, big picture who God is, we can talk about God being great and good and gracious and all those things. But essentially it comes down to God being known and revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And why is that so important? Because our God is by nature a relational God. So when you go to somewhere like Senegal, and you where among the Wolof people, and they talk about the Allah that they worship, that God is distant. That God is judgmental. That God is demanding. And that God is not close. And it's very hard to please that God. There is no way you would call that God Father. Or that we could be called sons and daughters of that God. That would be blasphemy. That's why some, when Jesus claimed to be the Son, they said, that's blasphemy. But Jesus not only claimed that, and he said, and now you are going to be sons and daughters of my Father. God is essentially a relational God. And so then when we talk about God as creator, we go, wow, you see what God did. God said, I'm creating those in my image. So now we get to be a part of that relationship. God desires relationship. 
God is not up there playing God, as some would say. You know, maybe I'll throw a lightning bolt this way or an earthquake this way and just see what happens, kind of that kind of God. I mean, some people really look at God that way. But God desires relationship and desired relationship with God created. I have to say this, though. We're not going to go a lot further today. But when we talk about Trinity, I understand that it is very hard to comprehend how God can be three in one. And yet we cannot move away from it. I hope you can see that in what we're talking about. And I just have to share a story. This is probably a legend, but it was told about St. Augustine. St. Augustine, some people say Augustine, same person, okay? St. Augustine. And the legend goes like this. The scene is a seashore. The scene is a seashore. I can say those words. Where there's a small pool and a little boy with a seashell and a sandy beach on which St. Augustine, clad in his episcopal robes, is walking, pondering the difficult mystery of the most holy trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, he muttered, shaking his head. As he approached the little boy, he was running back and forth between the sea and the pool with a seashell of water. Augustine craned his neck and asked him, Son, what are you doing? Can't you see, said the boy? I'm emptying the sea into this pool. Son, you can't do that, Augustine countered. And then the boy says, I will sooner empty the sea into this pool then you will manage to get the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity into your head. Upon saying that, the boy, who was an angel according to the legend, disappeared quickly, leaving St. Augustine alone with the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. It's enough to say, as Christians, I believe, when we say who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to say that we don't have to comprehend and understand fully what that means and how that works. But we do experience it fully. We experience God as Father, we experience God as Son, and we experience God as Holy Spirit. And to take any of those away would not be the same God that we would worship. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have called us to be your children. Lord, we so desperately need you. We ask, Father, that you would help us to understand your will for us, even when we can't understand all of the theology. Lord, this relationship that we have with you is is precious, and we desire to live into it fully. God, help us to feel your presence and the security of knowing that you are in control, of knowing that you are gracious and good and loving. And Father, I pray that our lives would reflect this. And where we're unable, Lord, we pray that you would give us the Holy Spirit to do it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.